0: Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, Real Stories, a local podcast for local artists. Hello, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on Afternoon Delight. Hope you're having a lovely Sunday. Staying safe. We're getting really close to that point now with February, which is really exciting because my birthday in a few weeks. Yeah, I can't really um, try and tell everyone that, you know, things are going well just now because things from me are going all right. They're really busy. I've got a lot of creative projects happening and money coming in, which is just absolutely amazing. But, you know, on par with that, I've had a lot of personal issues going on and behind the scenes that I don't really feel like I need to kind of tell people all about, but just remember on Facebook and Instagram, things might be going well in some ways, but they're never always going well in other ways. Do you know what I mean? Um, And it's been such an interesting experience interviewing this next guest for Afternoon Delight. I think out of all the interviews I've done, actually, this was probably the one that caught me off guard a little. Um, And I still enjoyed it. It was definitely interesting getting to know this person and also just hear about their work. And work that I'm not really actually that experienced in myself. So I was getting an education as well as getting to know someone, which is always good. I think I'm always the kind of person that I want educated in anything I do. And I want people to do it in return. So, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. This guest is really um, sarcastic, very witty, and overall very talented. There's a lot of potential for the future here. Um... You know, things take time and effort, but I definitely can see things going well for this guest. So let's bring him on, shall we? It's the very talented Daryl Devine. Thank you, Daryl. Well, we've got the double of our second bill this week. It is an amazing comedy sketch artist. And you know what? I don't even want to try and introduce them without them introducing themselves. It's the amazing... BBC social star in the making, Daryl Devine, hello. Actually,
1: people people come up to me, right? Yeah. And they go, oh, hello, Daryl Devine. Oh, wow, what a name. It's actually my real name. And uh, I can usually tell the calibre of the person I'm talking to by the response going, Daryl Devine. Oh, Oh, that sounds like a film director's name. Or... Uh, they'll say, Daryl Devine, oh, you sound like a porn star. wish your OnlyFans? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, don't, I don't do that kind of work. I just bought that, but do you
0: have an OnlyFans?
1: I'm pretty sure I've seen those. <laughs> <laughs> I really, do you know, I had about five minutes and uh, in, in, uh, probably five units of alcohol uh, where I thought, do you know, I will start an OnlyFans, but I'll I'll have... All the descriptions of every post to be facts about climate change. Cause I saw this guy on Instagram that done that, he done these slightly hoary photographs and it was all these climate facts. I'm like, man, that's how we get people paying attention, sitting up straight, getting it up straight, paying attention.
0: You know, it's so funny, right? i have a green voter and you think you've gave me you've got me a, a new job now, I'll get my <laughs> with the Green Party's policies, I'll be flying in the door. When weeks are, oh, honestly, you're just so charismatic and it's lovely right now, especially how things are doing. Like, how are you down south right now? Are you in London? Yeah.
1: Aye, aye. You can really read it on my accent. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing here for just our three year now. Uh, I'm in one of the worst affected boroughs for coronavirus. Odd. <laughs> I've just moved to during that. I've somehow managed to stay safe. Flatmates are, are staying safe. Um, but I you could do you could see this coming, man. Just yeah. the last I, I was talking to Manty on the phone earlier and we were we were cackling away like a couple of old women going. Um I believe it was my uncle who when all this started last year, he had to go into shielding. Right. And I remember saying, Jeez, oh, shielded. Oh, going into isolation for two months. How will they cope? Yeah. <laughs> Look at us now.
0: In months later, like, and I, I, I was in the shielding as well, like your uncle, for the first 12 weeks. And I've been writing a new <clears> show that's called 12 Weeks, which is about the shielding process and me having like a meltdown, right?
1: 12 Weeks of Shield?
0: Yeah, well, no, it's just called 12 Weeks, but the funny thing is, it's <laughs> like, the second half of the show was like week number thirty out of twelve weeks because there's never actually has stopped. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, it's just such a head fuck. And well, I'm just gonna say like, props to you for managing to stay sane just now during this uneasy time, and especially if it's such an affected area in London. Like, I can't imagine the stress levels right now, particularly. It must just be really difficult. Oh
1: no, I'll tell you. I mean, the last the last couple of weeks I've had, it's like. It oh, was just the last while all over. I don't know if you've ever seen that video of Katie Price where she's talking to Phil and Holly and she goes, oh, my dog got ran over, my horse died, Harvey's been bullied, my divorce got finalised. That's <laughs> essentially that's what we've been going through. But, you know, we, we do it with a smile, a flurry, and thank God, I will say this, I do feel very lucky being a creative individual and there's not a lot the world can offer you right now but at least that is one thing that's managed to keep me busy and it's something that a lot of folk have not had which uh, is very fortunate I guess in its own way.
0: I think that's great and honestly you're just such a difficult Gemini finding light-hearted humor in such <laughs> a situation I love that.
1: I'm Gemini as well I was a wee summer baby.
0: All oh, right, okay. That's, okay. Don't worry,
1: I'm, I'm as miserable as much as I'm positive, so don't worry.
0: Happy Christmas to your mum and dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they managed to have their first Christmas without me there, so you know, every cloud.
0: Oh, so um, could you introduce yourself to my listeners? <coughs> Although we basically sat and chatted for nearly 10 minutes love it, but could you um, let my listeners know who you are and what you do?
1: Aye, aye, Jings. I just realised that they're no sure if I'm a film director or a porn star. Um, well, gentle listeners, let me put you at ease. Uh, I, don't, I don't get my bits out on camera. Uh, I do some performance, though. Um, as as uh, Jordi yourself was saying at the start, um, uh, I'm a filmmaker, writer, performer, uh, videographer and video editor. Videos of my life. Uh,
0: and a comedian, clearly.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 aye, 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 I've, I've got that in my heat that I can do that. Aye. God help us.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. So, you know, where did you grow up and study? And, like, did you? <coughs> before you pursued this? You know, everyone's got their backstory that I love finding out about, like, you know, where did they study? Who were they? You know, did you actually, when you were younger, were you that, like, fear kid like me and other people that you knew you to be on the stage and somehow doing this, or did you just fall into this naturally?
1: Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, it was as, as natural as breathing, and, and I had a wee bit of trouble breathing there, so that tells you everything. <clears throat> uh, I, I a memory just popped into my head there. Um, I like I like the odd bit of drawing, although I'm absolutely catastrophic at it. But that never stopped me. My mother used to say that uh, when I was two year old. I, I, oh, actually, there's a, there is another bit to this story. There's a, a level of danger. When I was two year old, I used to draw these little uh, finger paintings and, and sheets of paper, and I used to fill the entire garden with it. Uh, we grew up in a council scheme, nice front garden, big lovely rose bush that apparently one day I ripped to shreds. Maybe that was my latest art project at the time. But uh, before that I used to uh, like, like, draw wee funny faces and things and the danger came for the fact that one day a car crashed into the garden and almost missed me by, by a few inches. And I'm sitting there drawing away, my mother runs out screaming, Dang! I'm sitting there going, "Oh, don't put me off my work." I think this one's going great. <laughs> I look up and there's some guy stumbling out his motor. Uh But aye, that 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 sort of very clearly, I always had a very hyper focus and creative stuff. Right. Uh, I recall that when I was a wee bit older, uh, I used to use my dad's camcorder. He used to film me with Woody and Buzz at the end of my bed reenacting the end in a Toy Story where they're trying to climb up onto the lorry. But my my bed was like the lorry. And then I got a monkey costume and I'd reenact the end of King Kong. (laughs) And then I discovered word processors and they're they're buried somewhere deep inside a hard drive for for brilliant blackmail material one day where I would write Godzilla fan fiction (laughs) and Smash (laughs) Brothers fan fiction. And there was like there's this one story that is really of its time, shall we say, quite quite clearly a a, a prepubescent boy with a lot of angst. Uh, I think it was called the Red Ninja, but it's about how this wee ginger guy goes around town and kicks shit out of everybody who was a cunt to him. Uh, then eventually I go into a, a machinima. If you've ever heard that phrase, no, I haven't. What's that phrase? so that's um uh i i', I I'll I only ask your age because that's uncouth, but if you were on YouTube in like the mid two thousands you might have seen a lot of videos and a lot of wee films being made with halo and oh, right okay machine cinema machinima. okay, okay. It's where you use a video game engine to create sh- uh short films and videos it's kind of died out now a wee bit because people have got better access to animation suites or uh, camera equipment and stuff, so you can do that. But I, as I'm sort of saying, I was just somebody who constantly was grappling with one medium and the next just to create things, express myself and make funny shit. And I think my first actual complete short film that you could watch from the beginning to end without me over your shoulder going, no, no, that's what that means. And, and no, I'll fix that later. It's own complete thing. I think I made when I was 12-year-old. Uh, it was 14 minutes long. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was made with a hacked version of The Sims 2. And I played all the characters. It was dreadful. <laughs> uh, oh, there was all these stupid voices. And it was all American. Because I had it in my head that if you'd done a video for the internet or if you'd done films, you, you, you had to be American. I had no notion that you could be Scottish or English or any of that, nice. which is sort of an early indictment as to, I suppose, the cultural erasure that was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Growing up in a wee uh, Kunso schema, a, a council estate, for your more southern listeners. <laughs> uh, all that creative lark and all that artsy stuff <clears throat> just, just wasn't a party of life. I was the only person who as I was getting older was was doing these videos and doing machinima started working with folk online but even to a, to a degree now when I'm working in this industry I still see folk who, who make a proper living for it and who are very successful and make a lot of money I still look at them like they're a member of an alien species because I think you're nothing like what I grew up Mm-hmm. Wait, and I don't know anybody like you, mm-hmm. and you're always slightly on edge because you, you kind of want to brown nose everybody you come across. Think you know, I hey, can get me a job, son.
0: Yeah, um, I completely relate to you, obviously, with the sort of council background because I'm the same. I come from like working class council, um, an ex council flat. At the oh, I can hear it in your hen, Aye, can I? Real housewife belief. <laughs> can I? Aye. And, and yeah I totally get what you mean that when you ended up meeting other people in the arts it was quite for me it was quite intimidating actually because I felt like there were a lot of my friends I met that were kind of born into that privilege that their parents were artists they kind of then got pushed into it and I was the poor opposite of my family are great but they're not artists none of them I'm literally that black sheep of family that it kind of didn't really make sense but it was films and theater and panel that got me into that obviously because I just went I want to be on that stage and do what they do and such a sort of theatrical way and my family were just great that they pushed me into it but I mean you know my mom was a working class mum. my dad had when he was when I was like nine so you know she was working two jobs so actually getting paid for me go youth theater do you know what I mean like it was like that so I totally get what you mean and, oh, com- and what are you going to say sorry? Uh,
1: co- completely the same on mind you know my my mother always says to me that uh, she left school at the age of 16. She left school on the Thursday and by Monday she was working in the Tartan factory. <laughs> to this day, I never know why the hell she didn't complete the final week. She couldn't be bothered staying for the Friday. You know? <laughs> Son, that's, that's a day I could be walking around all the Tartan factories getting my, getting my resume looked at, <laughs> which it. had hee-haw in it. Yeah. But, you know, back back in them days, I mean, I come for a turn right, where uh, I remember seeing... All the disused factories, uh, and and all the miners' cottages, and all of the empty, or uh, the empty square parks where there used to be industrial areas. I even remember a lot of them were were torn down when I was wee. So every time I go back there, there's less and less and less. And obviously, in this day and age, you have to have. Uh, it's a bit especially in the arts, you need to have experience to gain experience, and it's a,
0: it's a completely different world. You're totally right, yeah. And so did you end up going to like college or uni to then study <clears> sort of stuff?
1: Aye, aye. I, um, I had a terrible time at school. Nobody knew what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with myself there. Um, but then uh, I left and I went to uh, college in Cumbernauld. What's, What's it called? Uh, Because I got rejected for City at Glasgow College, Um, but I went there and I'll tell you, like you know, it it helped to kind of solidify working class culture for me because I remember I go there uh, in Cumbernauld College and there was a lot of sort of middle class people that were there who were like, "Oh, guys, I I look like a potato," oh, and I'm looking forward to the new Batman game, my, Uh, and I thought, oh, finally. I can be away from my upbringing and, and enter into a new world. Turned out to be the biggest pricks I've ever met. And the folk who were genuine was the dodgy-looking prats, you know, crawling out of bed with their hoodies on. Mm. Uh, they they ended up being the folk I formed a posse with. Yeah. And uh, we ended up working on a lot of stuff together and, uh, you know... It, Having a lot of fun and, and really finding a bit of myself. Lovely. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to make the leap to university, which at first I tried out uh, places in Scotland because uh, I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a what do they call it new cyber nats? You know, it was sort of something like Batman villains. Hey. Um, pardon me. Aye, aye. So I'm. I'm I looked around Scotland and I looked around what was available uh, uh, jobs-wise, education-wise, and I made the very big decision to actually come down to London, which I I think actually supports a lot of my politics that that a country like Scotland has got criminal underinvestment in it. We've got one of the biggest, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, live performance scenes with the Edinburgh Fringe. We've got a bustling... Uh, creative industries on the screen way uh, in Glasgow, where just about every Hollywood film comes up and does a bit of work in Scotland. You've got Outlander having a permanent base in Cumbernauld, and yet <clears throat> you only really had one film school that, I mean, it was the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, yeah. uh, right in the centre of a working-class, the most working-class city in the world, hey. like Glasgow, Yeah. And I remember walking in there, uh, they laughed when I told them my hometown. Okay. I remember them. <laughs> at the time, I was that nervous and desperate to please them, of course, that I never noticed, but yeah, they, they laughed when I said I was fae. Uh They were laughing at my my knowledge and and lesser knowledge of the industry sort of quizzing me about things. <clears throat> I remember saying to the guy, oh, I, aye, aye, the Adobe suite is uh, kind of coming into prominence. I think there's a lot of... A lot of the industry's going to be using the Adobe stuff. And the guy sat there going, oh, no, no, his his arm's crossed tighter than I've ever seen. He goes, no, no, it's the avid. It's the avid. I'm schooled in that. I teach that. I'm not a dinosaur. Mm." And it was just this toff sitting next to him, laughing at me. And I recall, actually, it was the one time I've ever tried making a dramatic short film. Completely blew up in my face. Uh, They wanted a, they wanted a short film. That shows how pretentious this school was. Yeah. They wanted a, a whole film made for them as an audition piece. They wanted content scene stuff I'd done before. They wanted a whole tailor-made thing. I'm not
0: surprised with RCS, to be honest. Like, I'm not. <laughs> it was to be the theme of happiness. And specific... Fuck's sake. <laughs>
1: Specifically, and, and this was interesting, it was not to be a record of what it means to you. As, as the artist it was to be a character's interpretation and I thought well let's impress them let's say no because I wouldn't just want to do mine thing I'm like right what's what's the furthest away for me what makes me happy is uh socialism comedy and uh going at the pub so <laughs> the furthest away for that was a thing where well actually it wasn't that much further away uh I'd done a ver- I done a short film about a guy with alcohol psychosis who's only happy about two seconds away from taking his life. okay. <laughs> it was <laughs> sort of turned into a horror film. I was done up in makeup, sort of green makeup, kind of looking like a guest star from The Exorcist. <laughs> and uh, I wrote it, directed it, performed in it to kind of showcase all of my abilities. Right. And I recall the TOF at the RCS was saying... Um, a film about happiness, Darrow. Suicide. Would you like to explain that? I'm like, do you not remember your own brief that you wrote? If you wanted to see a film about Jeremy Corbyn, I'd done a documentary about him. That made me happy. Thanks very much. Do you like that instead? Uh, but that didn't work out. So I exhausted every avenue of, of, of higher education in Scotland. And I thought, to hell, it. let's come down. Let's join the gays and Come to London. Brilliant. Uh, spent three years at Ravensbourne University. A school, practical school with really good uh, graduate employment, except when you happen to graduate in the midst of a global pandemic.
0: Oh, for fuck's sake, of course. But that is also, you know, reassuring that if they've got a good employability rate afterwards, that you know, this pandemic isn't that's an external thing that wouldn't have been predicted. you know what I mean? So it's also good because when I did my first undergrad at at, at QMU in Musclebra, which let me tell you, I'm not here to endorse that degree and tell people to go and study it. It's not for, it wasn't for me, but loads of my friends did events management and dietetics and that, those both, those degrees at QMU did really well. I think 90% always had an employability rate. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's reassurance for the future, but I can imagine what you mean that that happens, and then a pandemic bloody happens. Like, it must have been difficult. Uh,
1: it, was, uh, it was a it was a shame um, because when I when I started going to the to the London School, uh, I had a couple of years of college under my belt. I, I was already I felt ancient compared to most of the students. Uh, they were all fresh out of school, eighteen. I was. Uh, I was already halfway through my life as a twink. <laughs> uh, the hairline was already starting to go centimetre by centimetre. Um, and uh, when I got there, it was sort of continuing this odd theme of snobbishness that that, that uh, we've arrived at. Um, uh, number one, they were completely taken aback with me, you know, uh, working class, Scottish, completely unabashedly so... Um, And what you were sort of saying earlier, how a lot of them were born into very comfortable families, a shocking amount of them. them. And, and I thought always well, this was an exaggeration, but a lot of them had connections within their family. Like the dad has his own small production company or the mum works for so-and-so. And there was um, a big pressure that, oh, you have to spend money. You have to throw money around like mad you have to do dramas, you have to, you can never act in something yourself. Right. Uh, you can write and you can direct and you can be, be, you know, uh, big in your boots for all that, but you, oh no, you you, you cannot do anything that leans on light entertainment wow. or even satirical content. Right. And so initially I was doing dramas and I was working with a few different people and it, it was half decent, but, uh, It was three years I was there and as the years were going on, I realised, no, I've got a really good knack for comedy and uh, it's it's unfair to myself and it's unfair to the world to deny them my fullest creativity. Because there was a side project that I was working on while at uni. Whenever I would visit home, I'd be working on this marvellous creation. It's called Frank Mackay. The worst actor in the world. (laughs) It's got this voiceover that starts every single episode of it. A friend of mine once said that I described the guy like he's a Blackpool attraction. Frank Mackay is an icon of British cinema. A self-made man who built an empire and became a symbol of national pride. And it's just a voiceover, but you can hear the bullshit leaking out of me. Because the very next scene is generally a expert who we bring in. Oh. It's a mock documentary, you see. And we've, yeah. got this fan- we've got this fantastic comedian, Raymond Mayers, who plays a clinical psychologist. <laughs> who, right after I gas this Frank McKay up, he comes in and he goes, Mr. McKay was an old man past his prime who had delusions that he was Humphrey Bogard. <laughs> and it's sort of this odd mix of um, uh, Ronald Villiers, Ed Wood, um, Harvey Weinstein and Tommy Wiseau. Okay. <laughs> a general audience will not have a clue who the hell any of these people are. Well, you might know one of them. but um...
0: Um, I watch what you say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, maybe, maybe edit that out. I don't know. But it started as a college project Mm. that we were given the brief, do a a project that's uh, about film noir, which is the old detective thrillers in the 40s. And I thought, oh, geez, oh, here we go. And so it was a group project where each of us wrote a scene. And I wrote one that was eh, fairly, fairly straightforward, fairly basic. And then there was this boy who wrote a love scene for... The character we had the characters a a hard boiled detective and a femme fatale. This guy had no idea how to speak to a woman. The guy writing it, right? And seemingly had no idea how human beings talk in general. Uh, I think he was trying to make it cheesy. Although it was it was like if you asked a Martian to write cheesy human dialogue to be enjoyed by Earthlings, that was it. Oh God, what a shame! (laughs) Not aided by the fact. Well, actually, completely aided, because it became quite iconic among our friend groups. The Femme Fatale was played by an 18 year old in our class who looked a bit 13, and the hard boiled detective was a guy pushing 70. Oh, <laughs> it was just another guy in our class. Because <laughs> we couldn't be bothered funning actors, we just looked around and were like, Oh, you play the woman, and Sam, do you want, do you, do you want to play a, <laughs> an old guy with eyes on her? Alright then, and I think that I think it went like, oh, Frank. Ever since my like Frank as well, it's just the slimiest old man name you could come up with. Oh, Frank. Ever <laughs> ever since my husband has died, I feel a lot closer to you. I think I love you, and I love you too. But first, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> And he does this pimp swerve as I dubbed it, where he stands up and lumbers away, feeling like the luckiest man on earth. And we we roared with laughter every time we watched that back. Yeah. And I sat there and I thought, now there's something in this. And so I took the character and I wrote it as a pseudo-documentary about a crazy old guy who thinks he can be the next Brando, thinks he can be the next um, oh, whoever was big in the 40s. I can't be honest I know research. what you mean, yeah, totally, yeah. And I started making it after graduating college.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and every time, I, I then went down to London, but every time I came back home, we'd film a little bit of this. Of that, that's great. Of Frank Mackay. So the first thing we filmed was, oh, it was a health and safety nightmare. We were at the side of this canal, that was just, uh, I think it was up by Cosyth and uh, looked beautiful. The entire thing was shot, honestly, like something from the 40s. The joke was it was clunky filmmaking from the 20th century, <laughs> as opposed to we didn't want it to look like modern-day thing trying to look old. It had to look like crappy, genuine old. Yeah. And so we used to film around some canals, and the biggest set piece we got to use... And absolutely fantastic was uh, the riverside museum in glasgow all right okay uh, the transport museum uh-huh. and they've got this fake street that's uh, great for the kiddies i'm i'm still obsessed with it. Oh. where they've got the storefronts and the fake bar and the subway station uh we got in touch with them and asked if we could film there as students and they were like hi. they let us in uh, and it was it was fantastic aside from the odd member of the public walking in with <laughs> with cargo shorts or what no you know kind of spoiled the illusion yeah but we, we worked on that and i've so far released three of them uh oh, yeah. at very inappropriate times the first one released at christmas uh, t- christmas 2019 the second one frank Mackay, the sexiest actor in the world released on valentine's day 2020 back when we thought Frank Mackay's love scene was going to be the worst thing the year had to throw at us. <laughs> and I've released one just uh, uh, just uh, uh, New Year's just gone there called Frank Mackay, The Maddest Actor in the World. Wow. Which features a great opening scene where uh, uh, Frank Mackay recounts his fear of buses. He thinks that subway carriages are much more civilised and then he gets uh, <laughs> bullied by a gang of Young uh, gets bullied by a gang of youths who sing dirty rugby songs at him. Right, okay. (laughs) Because the whole character is he thinks... He thinks he's this guy that kind of inspires respect and a wee bit of fear. He thinks he's a proper general, this, uh, this, uh, this, this proper cornerstone of the creative industries. But everybody's just laughing behind his back and, more often than not, laughing directly to his face. So... I was making that throughout my whole time at uni and slowly but surely realised that this was a good thing and that comedy was really my forte. And uh, that then led me to my graduate project at university, which had to get shit-canned because of COVID.
0: Ah, right, okay.
1: That was... um, Sort of, uh, sort of related to what I'm doing with the BBC Social right now.
0: You're making work as well with the BBC Social. Um, would you mind talking about that and can kind of tell me how that started?
1: I've done this short film called The Last Debate of Scotland back in 2014. Opens with me, hair down to my armpits, which very clair- clairvoyantly I said, um, "Oh, best bit of the day this. When everybody's gone... You get a bit of peace. You've got nobody telling you how terrible your hair is. About a week after shooting that, I shaved it all off and uh, started looking attractive to human beings again. But I'd done this sort of parody of uh, the coverage of the Scottish independence referendum, Mm. which was kind of my first introduction to politics. Didn't really keep up with it before then. I was only 18 at the time. Mm. But I'd done this thing where I was... was, uh, spoofing news coverage, kind of poking fun at it. I had this pretend debate between Alex Salmond and Alistair Darling, where I think it was a four-way debate between Salmond, Darling, wee Jimmy Cranky, and this crazy Question Time audience member, this passionate Highlander. (laughs) Do you remember him at all? This old guy in a jersey goes, I am born in Inverness, passionate Highlander. We will keep our union together in the name
0: of Jesus. It was very vividly. It was a while ago, but yeah.
1: Well, that, kind of, well, that lovely gentleman kind of inspired me to, to sort of rip the piss out of, uh, out of the media. And then after that, I thought, oh, I, I, quite, I quite like this. And so I started doing these news sketches, yeah. uh, kind of put on the back burner when I went to college and started doing me a filament kind of work. Then when I went to uni, they said no, you can't do comedy at all. You have to you have to, you have to do sort of, uh, you have to spend three thousand pounds to be able to do anything. Work with twenty people at a time and do drama. But uh, doing Frank McKay and projects like that reinforced I should be getting into comedy. So I took the old sketches that I'd done these old news sketches, and I crafted. A, uh, can I can I recall the length? I think it was. It was sort of like a TV pilot thing. Uh, it, was, it was quite a, a lengthy short film where we planned... I got a little bit of money for it. I managed to source a wee bit of funding and we were going to shoot it in London, Birmingham and Glasgow and slightly more northern parts of Scotland. Cool. So the plot, it was going to be called Not News and it was going to... Every single story opens with Hello! This is not news here in Soho, London, or wherever he is. <laughs> just in case an idiot tunes in, you know, and they're like, oh, is this the news? This is
0: not news. You had me, I must have been an idiot, because you had me when I watched that <laughs> six minute. I went, oh, this is not news, perfect, I want to watch. <laughs> like, no,
1: no, if you've got a drink in, you, you might just think you've just misinterpreted what he's saying. He, yeah. may, he, he might just be showing some bias going, I don't think this should be news, but uh, it, it's what they're having. So, what Jeremy Paxman used to do, you know, they gave him a duff news story and he went, mm, Well, I guess it's fucking
0: sunny on Tuesday and then Thursday put a fucking at on. I love that you've clearly had the historic and research put into this from just saying that. Like, I can see <laughs> got in character, did your research for this. I love that. great. Oh, I, I, um,
1: I think actually, I think the whole inception of the character was when I'd done the uh, the last debate in Scotland, I'd done all the news things in a sort of BBC commentator voice. And then I started doing the other ones. So I'm like, oh, that's, what's the ITV guys sound like? Oh, this is TV News. That's it. Uh, and ended up just turning into this profusely angry character, completely, obviously as the character, developed. Yeah. And so the Graduate Project it was going to be this nation-trodden thing that I think the plot of it was... Oh, aye. Um Because it was satirical, because it was based off of real-life news stories, yeah. it has to be current. It has to relate to, to the modern day. You can't really do that if it's a, if, if, if it's a, a uni project that has to be done months in advance. Yeah. So I fashioned this bizarre story where... A whistleblower, who happens to look exactly like Edward Snowden, hijacks the broadcast signal of this news corporation. And he uh, says, oh, the news is not what we decide it is. It's up for you to all decide if this is right or wrong. And he actually goes and starts showing past news stories that the character feels is sort of left society in the state that it is. So we go back and we... uh, We see sketches from uh, the EU vote, the Scottish independence vote. Uh, We go all the way back to Thatcher, in fact. There was a great wee one where when I'm playing this news character, we done me all up, we done makeup tests where I was 50% latex with all the wrinkles and the hair back. But we're going to do one sketch where it was the 80s and my character was young. Uh, for as young as I manage to look these days <laughs> Christ, you could just stick the contents in Noah's Ark in my eye bags uh, but we wanted we to day one, it was at the very end I think where it all goes a wee bit trippy, where the guy's sitting there going, hello this is not news, I'm an intern and they're having me, and they're having me interview somebody, I don't know who it is and you see this silhouette of someone sit down in front of him and it's bloody Margaret Thatcher and it's like it turns into that scene out of the omen where the nanny looks into the eyes of the dog, and it all goes a bit satanic. <laughs> and my guy starts screaming for about 20 minutes straight. And that's what radicalised him to be a, a horrible Tory journalist. So we shot a bit of that in Birmingham. We used some great facilities. There was friends of mine who even made this part of their own studies at uh, the university there. And that was in March... Oh, no, that was February. Uh, and we were planning to shoot exterior stuff uh, in London in March. And then once the weather picked up, we were going to film in Scotland in April 2020. Right. And the whole time, my pal, uh, uh, my good friend James Penders, who was helping me write it, he's saying, Daryl, what about this, uh, this thing in China happening? Do you want to write a wee, wee thing about that? And I go... Dear fuck, it'll be another swine flu. What nonsense. Jesus Christ. I can be oddly clairvoyant in some ways. I've, I've got films out there that predicted Donald Trump and that, that, that referendum film, The Last Debate of Scotland, there's actually a scene in it where Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who storms the debate and he says to Alex Salmond, uh, or rather my commentator says, um, uh, The Doctor of Gallifrey destroyed all political tension by telling Alex Salmond that Scotland would never become an independent nation under his watch because he already time-traveled to next month and saw that they had lost. And that came out a month before the referendum happened. Brilliant. I can predict some things, but other things, maybe not so much. So, Covid happened. Uh, I was a right trendsetter. My flatmate managed to get sick of it. Uh, Sick from it, rather. We all go swiftly sick of it.
0: Oh, gosh. Uh,
1: he was a civil servant in Whitehall, so he wow, was. This was before working from home. He was diving in and out, in and out. Whitehall, as a matter of fact, was uh, even well before Boris Johnson and everybody got sick. The the civil servants in their offices was a, a a a hive of it. Was an epicenter, for what I recall.
0: Oh my
1: god! And so it happens in this grand, massive. Uh, Not news project that we had planned just sort of seeped away for me. Became blatantly obvious that Mm. right, okay, there's this lockdown that's happening for March, but maybe things will pick up for April. Maybe that will happen. Yeah. And it started getting away for me, and I thought, oh dear, oh goodness me, what am I going to do here? And sort of from the ether comes an old friend. Hello there. I'm Frank Mackay. Coming to save the day like he, like the character thinks he always does. Yeah. And So I turned Frank McKay into my graduate project. Right, okay. Which I think wraps up my entire life in a nutshell. A project that started off at college for being so bad was the apex of my entire educational career. Love it. And I graduated and it all went quite well and... To sort of cope with a lot of things happening, I started doing the comedy sketches again. Mm-hmm. despite Years of being told by people, oh, no, silly sketches, that'll get you nowhere. Or oh, you need to do it with a crew. You need to do it all of this way. Everybody else had their work completely torpedoed. Yeah, But I, with a silly camera and doing a silly voice, could do these uh, comedy sketches. And I started putting things up on... Um, on YouTube, you've seen a few of them. A lot of them. Uh, I started doing sketches about coronavirus. I started doing them about the migrant crisis. I started doing them about um, the the government's handling of things and and sort of spoofing and satirising the media and 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 the government. And eventually,
0: that caught the attention of the BBC. Ironically enough, I know. And it's and do you know what? Watching those sketches, right? Like. I was quite taken back when you shared them and thought, oh, I don't know how I'm going to like, if i going to enjoy this. Because I am I love comedy, but I've got a specific kind of my own style and taste for these things. But I watched it and particularly one with the migrant crisis. I remember seeing this sketch you've done with them coming in the boat. And I thought to myself, oh, this is a bit and cheek. But I got what you were doing because I've done this myself, that I knew what you were doing with the spoofing. I knew that there was sort of a concept and a reason behind this that I thought was really clever and I really enjoyed and I did think it was quite outrageous but I think for the right reasons and quite clever and I think your sketch is genuinely like as a comedian that's why when you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast you know oh I'm Miss filmer and I do these and I'm like yes you are a comedian as well because me, everything you do is fantastic but there is such a sense of comedy in all this work that I can't really do comedy unless I actually just naturally talk and try to make me less funny than I actually am. Mm. But
1: and, like- and that's quite a funny thing, is that... Oh, pardon me. That's quite a funny thing, is... Oh, God. Bloody look at it, Christ. Um, <laughs> too much glucose by, by gum. Aye, and um, that's a funny thing, that live performance is actually something that I never thought I could do. Really? To this day, I haven't actually done too much of. I was going to, I was was writing little five minute sets that I was going to do at the clubs and I thought, do you know, once I I graduate and we get out there and into the world, get some kind of apprenticeship or whatnot, uh, I can go and I can do sets at at nights and clubs and obviously that's been totally torpedoed. Yeah, in a weird way, I'm still able to do performances through the sketches. Yeah, amazing that I'm very comfortable way, but actually standing up and being, well, maybe this is why you quite like drag and why a lot of folk, I don't understand drag, but but maybe I'm starting to the new and that it's very scary to just stand up on a stage and even just do a wee five minute open, open mic set Mm. and just think, Oh, folk are looking at me expecting just me to be funny and to say some funny things that to me terrifies me
0: although I've done all this other stuff. Mm, I have to say, I think you've answered your own question on why you don't understand drag with actually the real answer because <laughs> Ag is a parody and a spoof and a persona and all your sketches aren't you, they're persona. And that is as much as it might not be a female character that you put on, you put on a spoof. Mm. Ah, when I was on stage line heightened, exaggerated version of myself, but I don't act the way I do on stage like I do in my house. If we were sitting in my living room, I wouldn't be talking like I would be on stage. I'd be in the gate, I'd be in CC's going, oh, there's my ex on stage, but think I'm gonna sit in my living room like, hold on, let me just go on Facebook Live. Oh, there's my ex, like, do you know what I mean?
1: I think the thing that terrifies people is that there isn't very much a difference with me. <laughs> there is when I'm, playing a, when I'm playing a Mad Tory or, oh God, there, there is one character didn't he mention this? I think this was the film I actually sent to the Conservatoire as well. They, they wanted to see an example of a, a proper long filmic thing I'd done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this was the thing that, pre- that predicted Donald Trump.
0: It right. was a,
1: a short film I did called The Fellowship of Theo,
0: <laughs>
1: where it, it looked like, Sin, I think we were trying to go for a Sin City vibe, where it was about a religious cult who were kind of like, it was like the Scottish Manson family. Uh and uh I was in a I was playing this character Theo titsuit, great big robe, big mullet sort of wig that everybody was asking, was that your real hair at the time? I'm like, no, no, Smithy's eleven ninety nine, Uh or <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, whatever, whatever the brand of that is. Um, but that's probably the closest I think I've ever really gotten to dry because it was He always had his arms, out. He was always walking around and sashaying and sashaying. There's a great wee line that I hope to use in something in the future where someone goes, and in his congregation, someone stands up and goes, Theo, I'm having a crisis of faith. What can I do? Ah, my son, faith is like Wi-Fi. It is invisible, but it has the power to connect you to what you truly need. <laughs> folk applaud the ask them. They're like, oh, great. Oh, and their gods are actually what they call star children. Right. And so they've got pictures of celebrities who are went for the maddest fucking celebrities in the world. There's a giant picture, there's a giant portrait of Princess Diana, obviously. The Chuckle brothers... Mr. Ed, the talking horse, and a great big giant one of Donald Trump sort of showing half a pout. And this was back when everybody went, oh, Hillary Clinton, she's got it in the bag, she's got it. And I thought it would be terrifying to have a thing of her where, or, or, you know, folk couldn't tell the difference between her and Mr. Ed, you know, get a picture of her with a giant gob and screaming at somebody. Uh, but I thought, no, Donald Trump, because, you know, I'm I'm starting to ascertain that, that uh, a lot of his followers are essentially cultists.
0: Yeah, especially what's happened to the capital. I can 110% see that, yeah. That that guy who uh, looked
1: like an Elder Scrolls character, him that, that had his tits out and, and was done up in fur... <laughs> Yeah. It looked a lot like that character I played. Maybe he was the America's Theo.
0: I can imagine that when you were describing that. That's the.
1: Have faith! Oh!
0: That was the image I had in my head when you were describing it. <laughs> so funny. Right, we are going to. Because you're a Gemini and you're loving it, right? But I need to ask. So, your BBC social video, let's give that a shout out. Because I saw that this week just before we were doing this interview. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. So, can you tell my listeners a bit more about that? So, um, the form
1: these have taken is, uh, there's only been a couple out so far. The most recent is titled Weather Bomb and ironically it manages to come out a couple of days before we're really hit by one. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. Um, uh, I play this sort of uh, torn-faced journalist who is just happy blaming the great British public for all of their own problems. Um, And We've got a few more in the bag, uh, and, and effectively they're just they're black comedy. If you feel like you're, if you feel like you're being wound up by the telly, if you feel like you're being wound up by the government, the the other sketch that we've done is called Lockdown Down" is all your fault, <laughs> and it features it features myself in a double role. It, it features the the journalist uh, screaming into camera about how. Uh, the British people did not interpret the government's clear and concise guidelines. He then lists about forty-five different slogans they used in about the space of a fortnight, uh, and then he, he happens across a, a member of the public who's uh, went on a night out, and he goes, "Why have you been out during a pandemic?" And he convinces somebody else to come out and brutalise the poor boy. So, if you like that sort of stuff, just uh, they're all under different titles, but just check out Darrow Divine BBC Social um, because. You hear this absolutely, absolutely everybody. But I'd, I'd love the support. The support is so important. Of course. Especially for somebody like me on the very fringes, trying to break into it. Getting people's attention and really showing that people are interested in this is so important. Because one of the things I wanted to touch on was that the genre satire, which you would have heard me... Um, talk about uh, throughout all of this. What satire is, basically spoofing real life. It's making a parody of a celebrities, folk on the telly, government, people. And there used to be a lot of it and now it's kind of went away, but it's it's bubbling back. I think, you know?
0: yeah, watching your videos, I thought that, I thought you're comedy for me because it's the kind of thing that I love watching is what you do. I wouldn't do it myself because it's just not what I do, but I... I'm always in the arts, in any craft, looking for people to educate me and entertain me and teach me things. And watching your stuff, I was like, I can't really do anything like this, but I actually think it's hilarious and brilliant. And it reminds me, this is what I'm going to ask you next, actually. You know, are you heavily influenced by things like Scottish culture, like Brabsinez, but still Game, Through in the back, Karen Marshall? like, these are... When you do these sort of spoofs, I don't know why, but I just see sort of how Scottish culture really has influenced that, and I love that. I think that's lovely.
1: Aye, um <clears throat> aye, I, I, I'm I'm always a wee bit put off by the phrase "Oh, your influences." Right. As if you you just kind of sat there like a sponge, going, "I don't know what I'm going to make." Oh, he's done that. I'll do something like that? I know that's no no quite what 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 folk mean by it. Um I, I, I'm into a lot of English comedies. Yeah.
0: Um, right, cool.
1: Aye, aye, aye. You know, I'm a, I'm a dreadful nat, to me. <laughs> um, it's all right, I make up for it by listening to Amy MacDonald. Um, <laughs> but uh, sort of what, what I would compare a lot of my style to, certainly with something like my news sketches, and, and Frank McKay to a certain extent, is stuff like The Thick of It. Right. Okay. Or Brass Eye, The Day-to-Day. That, that's a wee bit more obscure. That's the, um, <laughs> that, that's the videos, if you've ever seen the really straight-faced newsman talk about mad shit. yeah. Um, I think, oh, I, I, I I'll only spoil it because uh, there's there's a great gag that, that that's also a wee bit filthy, but it's absolutely brilliant. The guy got death threats for making that, so God knows why I want to get into similar lines of work. Yeah. But Al, Alan Bastard, uh, uh, the new statesman, Rick Mail, Bottom, uh, all of the kind of sitcoms of the nineties is stuff that I really like and uh, really admire because. A problem that I've sort of got with Scottish comedy. I absolutely love still game. You know, uh, when I came down here, I had I got a wee bit of homesick. I just stuck oh, that on. Uh, um, and, and it it really reminds me of where I come from, because I don't come from glasgow, I come from a, a small town in the West Coast, but it's, it's all quite similar culturally. But the issue I kind of have with Scottish culture is, right, Rab Nisbet, early 90s, it's about a... Uh, it's about a working-class Scottish guy who is work-shy, an alky, and all that kind of thing. Still game. It's about a bunch of miserable pensioners in a shithole part of Glasgow, chewing the fat. Loads of Neds, generally, in a shithole part of Let Lemmy's Show, which I love, it's fantastic. Junkies, drunks. Jacqueline McCaffrey, who is somebody who... Used used to be rough trying to better ourselves. Oh, ha-ha, how dare you get ideas above your station? It's all slightly... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It it, it all kind of targets the same things and and has the same kind of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think there should be a lot more... And Scottish people are more than capable of it. A lot more humour punching upwards rather than the old idiom of, oh, well, you see, the Scottish can laugh at ourselves. That's what any time I... I generally discuss this with folk. I'm like, of oh, Scottish comedy feels very stereotypical and very sort of, mm. it's like, you know, very, I think there was an interview I saw with somebody where, where they described a lot a Scottish comedy, certainly on, on the screen, whether it be film or TV, like, you know, The Angel Share or Trainspotting or that, very male-centric, Glasgow-based, for the most part, working-class sort of humour and I'm thinking, well, where is the, the thick of it or the Scottish Yes Minister or the the, the Scottish Alan Bastard? Where's the Scottish spitting image even? I mean, that's came back, but uh, ironically, the only Scottish character they have in it is Michael Gove, which you notice, um, if you ever see that, his accent, he hardly he does not sound Scottish in real life, but in that in that show, they give him a Scottish accent in order to sound unflattering, <laughs> which I think quite quite... Uh, Quite an interesting little thing. But now I sort of see myself as trying to broaden the the, the capabilities of Scottish humour. Even though I live right now in London, my dream is to go back up there, to give the whole thing a good shake, and to, to bring my style of comedy out there. Although somebody might say, oh, well, Frank Mackay just sounds like it's about a pathetic old man in Glasgow, well it's a slight satire of that as well and it, it kind of goes on the areas there's a lot of women characters we've got in it and it's kind of a satire of the 20th century and their attitudes and yeah. the arts and all that in general you know
0: and I think for me listening to all this as an outsider as well like it's really good to know that the BBC social have got you developing work them because that opens a lot of doors that it's the BBC, you've got a lot of opportunity that when you would come back to Scotland, you probably would have a lot of connections and make some fit. So that's really, really amazing. Oh, I, and the team there's fantastic. And they're really,
1: there's, there's folk there that are really receptive to challenging ideas. I mean, when i done the first one of my news sketches, the one about the lockdown, they were like, oh, we'll have to see, because we don't, we don't want to look like we're, we're challenging the government's thing or, or spreading misinformation. There was a lot of caution about it which is very understandable, but thankfully the reaction was great and and they want more of that. So it it is a really good thing. I think there is a change coming.
0: I think that's great. It's amazing. So listen, it's lovely to hear you talk about all your work, but you know what have you been doing the last 10 months to cope? I know that's maybe a bit of a daft question for this pandemic, but is there anything you've been doing, especially now that you wouldn't have probably done before the pandemic?
1: Scratching my arse and drinking. (laughs) Uh, No, I I, I did do that before. No, it's... As, as I was saying earlier, I, it truly is a fortunate thing that uh, I have my creative streak and my Arpsie streak, and that really has helped me cope with things. It's let me turn inward and keep myself busy. My heart absolutely goes out to everybody who... I've got countless friends who are furloughed, who are sitting around, who feel bad, feel like they, they haven't... Um, that they're not contributing or they're not making good use of their time. There's only so many hours you can play the Nintendo Switch. I've just managed to bring out the BBC sketch and I'm also writing a play at the moment, which I never thought I would ever see myself doing. And that's going to be. Play in, what play are you writing? Uh, not news. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two ideas and I'm sticking with them. Right. No, um, well, I always thought it'd be, quite, it'd be quite an interesting experience. There's a lot of people that's saying, well, you know, Daryl, you, your personality is so exuberant and, you know, that the, the screen is really not enough to contain you, which is a really polite way of, of, of saying nobody would ever bloody believe you on screen so why don't you jump on a stage. Yeah. Um, but there's a few good ideas that we want today with that. I'm sort of, I'm sort of following in the footsteps a eh, still game and how they started off as a play. And I'm sort of inspired by uh, Jonathan Pye, if you've ever heard of him. I haven't, but my listeners maybe have, so yeah. He's that that fake journalist on Facebook, but the one who's really believable. Oh, yeah, Uh uh-huh. Aye, uh, I've seen his stuff. Uh, I've seen him live before. And uh, what's really funny is I bet you anything once the day start mean out there, people will be going, oh, this is a bit of a rip Jonathan Pye. Oh, the media, oh, really? Uh, no. I made my first sketches, they're on YouTube right now. It came out about a whole year before Jonathan Pye ever switched his camera on. So he might've got to, he was just lucky first. That's where the, he was privileged. Him, you know, uh, jobless actor, makes videos about diarrhea. I think that's how he actually started. He was sitting in front of the Cenotaph and he went, oh, I hope this finishes up quick. Oh, I've got one poking out. <laughs> and he thinks that's in good taste. And, years later, he's got live shows and he's working with the BBC, so cool. I'm, write, I'm writing a play that's kind of an adaptation of the failed unifilm, uh, and honestly, I hope, as you were saying yourself, that uh, comedy like this, satire, satirical stuff, makes you laugh, makes you cringe at times, but I hope it does make folk think, because I think you've got a duty as an artist to spread awareness about things, to... You know, I think I think it was one of the original designers of the BBC who said you should inform, educate, and entertain. Yeah. So you've done that with your activism about cystic fibrosis, uh, other uh, drag artists, or, or or any kind of creative does that with their own things. There's a there's a a lot of uh, people in the arts right now talking about Black Lives Matter and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping to just. Well, I think I said once that. W- if I can get this play made, I want the audience walking out with a hammer and sickle in their hands. Hopefully they won't be crying in their, in their heads and their horns going, Jesus, the world's fucked. But they'll be walking out there going, no, no, I'm not letting bastards like that get away with things. Oh, no. Do
0: you know, I love hearing you talk about this, though, because me and you are very similar. We're obviously probably on very ends of the spectrum here, but an Aquarius and a Gemini are very alike, and... Mm. I've been mentioning that I've been writing a show since Christmas that's all about my experiences of the first 12 weeks of the pandemic and what that is is basically my MA film completely transferred to a live show and done live. Very similar then, aye. And it's great to hear you talk about transferring stuff because I'm running a digital drag show called The House Liability but we're doing a venue live whenever that is we're taking the drag show there. And I'd say to all them, I think for the first show, what would be lovely is if we did our favourite digital performances, but live for the first night. And they went, yeah. And what I was explaining to a lot of them, because two of them started out drag online, was that they're in a good position, that it's very easy to transfer a film to stage as opposed to a stage to film, in my opinion, that it's not the same for me with them, that they can then go, how do I do this on a stage? And if there's things like, Different scenes they go to, they can edit the fine, but I was like, you're in a good position here that they feel very much like the, what you were talking about earlier that live audience thing. that I'm a live performer, so audiences don't beat me out, I don't get worried. But when you edit things, you can take out bloopers, you can take out uh, lies you didn't do that was swallowed. Do you know what I mean, so I can totally get that. And I'm really excited to actually, I probably will come and see this show when it goes on stage, by the way, because it sounds, I think it's actually quite clever. I think it's quite clever to do something like you're not news, but on stage. I think that'd be quite interesting. Aye, ta, very much. Aye, I'll accept that chivalry compliments. You're very welcome. Um, something I ask on season two that's different season one of afternoon's light is what are you, what did 2020 teach you and what are you grateful for in 2021? And it's quite a hard question to ask people, but it'd be great to hear what you feel about that.
1: Uh, it's a hard question indeed, because uh, 2021 just looks like a, re- a reprieve of the previous year. Um you know, I think just echoing what I've been saying throughout this is just you know, I'm I'm very grateful that, that I am who I am and that, that I feel that I can still be creative. I'm lucky enough that at that to a large extent I can do what I want. I've got the capabilities and the resources to keep making things. Um and just you know. I just try not to try no take things for granted, really. Thankful I'm creative. Thankful I can make what I make. Thankful for my pals that have stood by me and um, that I'm able to stand by them. Uh, I mean, you know, imagine if we didn't have the internet with all this. Oh, yeah. I think we're in a complete transitional stage right now where, you know, we're, we're really being taught who we are. We're really, being, we're really learning uh, what we want to do with life. I've spent a hell of a lot of my life kind of coasting through things because I came from a very rough area that I didn't quite fit in with. I then went to a university that I didn't quite fit in with either, and now I'm just learning, no, you need to be be bold as brass. If you want to be funny, then be funny. That's the thing that's actually going to get you recognised. Take on others' advice, but if your instinct's screaming the other way, then tell them to get to fuck, and go your own way. Fashion your own path.
0: We kind of abruptly ended the interview. However, there was a point to that. I had asked Daryl for his quote. Because obviously every episode we end with a quote. And Daryl had kind of said he couldn't work out a quote that really encapsulated what he wanted to say. And we actually agreed that the way he ended the 2020 and 2021 question was perfect. We didn't actually need the quote and that was lovely to give this episode its own definition that sometimes what comes natural is what you really want to see. I'll be honest, this interview has been an interesting one because I didn't really think in two seasons of Afternoon Delight I would have someone kind of questioning my art form because they didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. However, anyone that knows me knows I love a challenge and... My work has always been educational and informative, and it was very clear that from Daryl's answer that he gave himself, he understood completely what drag was, and I think that my interaction with him has hopefully helped him understand that just as much as his interaction has helped me understand the world of comedy and satire because I don't do comedy work that's very serious and fun. I do very much sad songs and track. And make bitchy comments. So it was such a lovely interview. And I didn't even have to ask many questions, as you heard, because Daryl very much knows what he wants and is here to make a lasting impact. Very much so, a Gemini, that they always leave you wanting more. I'm excited to see what Daryl does with the future. And I wish him all the best in London right now because it's very difficult right now to be in such a big city with COVID numbers. So love and respect to Daryl. And I'm so glad that I got to meet him and make this interaction. And I'm sure this won't be the last time that we have a chat. Thank you so much for joining Afternoon Delight. We have got some guests next week. I'm so excited to have a couple of guests next week that I'm going to let you guess, leave you guessing like Daryl does. And I look forward to my listeners enjoying that. Please do give us a subscribe and share. And if you've enjoyed this and you're an artist, feel free to contact me. I'd love to have you on and let you share your work. Until then, stay safe and remember to breathe. Afternoon Delight, real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists.